Broadcasting live to New York, Bloomberg 1130. To Washington, D.C., Bloomberg 991. To Boston, Bloomberg 1200. To San Francisco, Bloomberg 960. To the country, Sirius XM Channel 119. And around the globe, the Bloomberg Radio Plus app and Bloomberg.com. This is Bloomberg Surveillance. Hey, good morning. I'm Karen Moscow, along with Michael McKee and Scarlett Fu. And the opening bell brought to you by American Arbitration Association. Business disputes are inevitable. Resolve faster with the American Arbitration Association, the global leader in alternative dispute resolution for over 85 years. Learn more at ADR.org. And stocks are higher at the open. The S&P 500 up about two-tenths percent or three points to 2091. Dow Jones Industrial Average up two-tenths percent or 29 points to 18,006. And the Nasdaq's up two-tenths percent or seven points to 4903. Ten-year Treasury, little change. Yield 1.91 percent. The yield on the two-year, 0.84 percent. NYMEX crude oil up 1.6 percent or 70 cents to 43.34 a barrel. COMEX gold is up four-tenths percent or $4.60 to 1244. 70 an ounce. The euro, $1.1332, and the yen, 110.96. Mike and Scarlett. Thank you so much, Karen. I'm Scarlett Fu, in for Tom Keen, here with Michael McKee. This is Bloomberg Surveillance. Mike, we're going to talk about hedge funds. Uh, the hedge fund industry under pressure, poor returns, a bout of contraction with some high-profile funds closing, and, of course, those high fees. So joining us now is Ted Seides, formerly of Yale Investment Management and Protégé Partners and currently author of a new book, So You Want to Start a Hedge Fund, Lessons for Managers and Allocators. Ted, welcome. Thanks, Carl. Great to be here. Great to see you. So let's start first with hedge funds and where they are. Is the industry at an inflection point? Is it going through a midlife crisis right now? I'm not sure it's a midlife crisis, but there's certainly change happening. I think the industry itself has really reached the mature phase of its growth. And like any other industry, when it matures, lots of things happen, both in the composition of the industry and also to the participants. And what's the most important change you see happening for folks who need to allocate their money? I think the most important change that a lot of people miss with the criticism about hedge fund returns is that there there aren't a lot of other places to put their money. Uh, So despite the fact that returns have certainly disappointed the last few years, we continue to see inflows into the industry. And the way that those inflows are coming uh, is changing. So what you're seeing is a change in the composition of the industry. And generally speaking, the investors in hedge funds aren't thrilled with what they've had. Mm -hmm. And they're looking for something a little bit different to get back to the kinds of returns they were expecting in the past. Well, one of the complaints that people have is that uh, the returns the hedge fund industry has provided over the last couple of years aren't worth the cash that you've laid out. So make the case for even bothering. Yeah, I think that's a fair point, um, and we'll see what happens. I like to refer to a a terrific article that Carol Loomis wrote uh, called Hard Times for Hedge Funds, and it talks about how the long positions have gotten clobbered and the shorts are going the wrong way and the fees are too high, and there's just too much money in the industry to generate returns. The tricky part of it is that Carol wrote that article in January of 1970. So... We don't really know yet. Certainly, we've seen some cyclical headwinds against hedge funds. I think the rate environment is particularly challenging for hedge fund strategies. But it's a little too soon to tell if we just had a a rough period of time or if there's a real secular problem that we'll see. But make no mistake about it, and investors are disappointed from the last few years. Is is the model for you changed in the same way it has for a lot of retail equity investors in that you're not trading uh, 
uh, you know, a hedge strategy, uh, you know, one security against another. You're trying to get around computers that are inserting themselves into every trade, and hedging doesn't work because they're just going to take the other side of any trade you make. Yeah, you know, big data is certainly working its way into the financial markets, and um, again, we have seen the last few years some of the quantitative funds, Renaissance most notoriously keeps producing returns like a, like an ATM machine, and some of the others have as well. Um, but I don't think that fundamental investing is sort of dead forever. Ultimately, stock returns tend to correlate over time uh, with companies' underlying results, um, and, and we'll see what happens. So for those people who are intent on setting up their own fund and starting anew um, and getting back to the fundamentals, uh, talk to us about what kind of strategy they should pursue. Um, You make a point about how they should start uh, getting to work right away, putting money to work rather than keeping this high cash balance. Why is that? Yeah, well, there are a bunch of subtle lessons in the book. Um, From a strategic perspective, to start with, I think one of the most important lessons that, that I've seen managers, startup managers learn over time is to put forward exactly what they want to do. Because the environment or the demand for strategies can be somewhat fickle and change with recent performance. And so when someone is making their own bed, ultimately they're going to have to lie in it. Mm -hmm. And so they really need to think carefully about the long term and what strategy they want to pursue for the long term. Now, when it comes to actually starting a fund, what happens is the day that a manager starts, the clock is ticking. So whatever strategy that is, if it's a long-short strategy or a convertible arbitrage strategy, there are competitors that are in the business from the day they start. And a lot of times what you see is a manager will want their very best positions all the time. And so in seeking this kind of ideal that ultimately doesn't exist, they only put on positions very, very slowly. Um, and so often, they're looking for perfection. Exactly. So they're looking for perfection early when perfection really doesn't exist. And so what I've seen a number of times is that it starts – that there's nothing wrong with trying to put your best foot forward. But if a manager waits too long, and let's assume that the strategy over time is going to make money, they're kind of giving up too much return in this sort of all-important early months and quarters. And sometimes it just takes them too long, and then they generate returns that are unexciting uh, for, for the people watching them and potentially looking to invest. How is it on the other side of uh, the, the allocation uh, table, uh, how easy is it? to raise money for a fund these days? Oh, I think it's particularly difficult and only getting more so. Um, So um, what we've seen is this increasing concentration across the hedge fund industry. So the largest managers are getting larger. And, again, that's despite the fact that uh, the investors haven't been all that uh, excited about what they're seeing. And so as a result of that, although for any one startup it's particularly difficult, there is demand and there will be increasing demand at the startup phase of the business. So there are lots and lots of these startups. Not that many of them will succeed, just like the venture capital business where not many ventures succeed. Um, but it's important for all of these sort of newer managers to understand that there are ways that they can modestly improve their chances of success. You talk about how there are a lot of big hedge funds. Is it better to be a big hedge fund or a smaller one? Is the goal for everyone to get to $1 billion? Well, I think in this business, uh, the goal for most managers should be to generate returns that, they're, that make their clients happy. Right. And, but and you some can only that do that with be. size, with scale. Uh, there are benefits to size, and there are some drawbacks to size. So certainly uh, as, as a benefit – 
with larger size and larger resources comes the ability to hire better talent, mm -hmm. to invest more R&D in different strategies. On the other side, if you have too much, uh, if you have too much assets to manage, you start to constrain your investment opportunity set, um, and that isn't great for investment returns. So there's definitely a delicate balance for any strategy between wanting to achieve a certain amount of growth and then potentially being too big to, to play the same game. Ted Sinus is with us. Uh, he has uh, got a new book out. Uh, so you want to start a hedge fund? Um, I'm not sure. <laughs> that's not in our immediate future. Yeah, that's Mike. A, this, it's not what Scarlett and I are going to be doing. But uh, we'll be back with him and we'll get some advice just in case we decide we want to change careers. And uh, I think it's probably a little too old for either one of us to become a professional athlete or a rock and roll star. Um, so, <laughs> so you're hedge, saying there's a future for us maybe, in managing money, huh? Yeah, maybe the only thing we have left that. And being here on Bloomberg Surveillance right now, uh, the markets are open and the markets are green. Uh, how long that will last? We'll see the numbers coming out on the economy. Not so good today. But the Fed's meeting. Do you want to trade ahead of that? S&P up right now by four points. The Dow is up by 33. 10-year note yield 2.74%. That's the 30, rather. <laughs> All right, time now to check in with Michael Barr, brought to you by Palisades Audi. Visit palisadesaudi.com. Here he is with the latest news headlines. Mike Scarlett, thank you very much. It is primary day in five northeast states. Voters will head to the polls in Delaware, Pennsylvania, Connecticut, Rhode Island, and Maryland. A strong day by Democrat Hillary Clinton could put the race out of reach for rival Bernie Sanders. The Vermont senator admitted to ABC News he does better in open contests. We are handicapped. I think we're going to do fine today. We know what the rules are. We're going to fight for every vote we can get in Pennsylvania, Connecticut, etc. But in fact, in these states, independents can't vote. We do a lot better with independents than Hillary Clinton does. Republican frontrunner Donald Trump told Fox News Hillary Clinton is using the woman card to get elected, saying that she is pandering to the electorate. Trump says he'd love to see a woman president, but that Clinton is a disaster. Dangerous weather packing tornadoes and large hail could stretch from southern Oklahoma to southern Nebraska today. A 12-year-old girl had registered for a 5K road race last Sunday in Rochester, New York, but somehow Lee Des Rodriguez joined the wrong group of runners, and instead of running the 3.1-mile course, she ran 13.1 miles. The 12-year-old says she realized her mistake halfway through but decided to finish, and she did. Global News, 24 hours a day. I'm Michael Barr. Mike? Yes, thank you, Michael. Uh, I don't know, Scarlett. Maybe we could do that. <laughs> That's amazing. We give her all the credit in the world. Absolutely. And yeah. don't forget, we, we need to give another shameless plug to our Fed special for tomorrow. Yep. 2 p.m. tomorrow on Bloomberg. Well, coming up, uh, we are going to continue our conversation with Ted Seides about how to start a hedge fund. And as Scarlett mentioned, we'll give you all the news on the Fed tomorrow, our Fed special, 2 p.m. Global business news, 24 hours a day at Bloomberg.com, the Radio Plus mobile app. And on your radio, this is a Bloomberg Business Flash. And I'm Karen Moscow. This update's brought to you by National Realty. 30% returns on cash and rented real estate. Find them at nria.net. 
U.S. stocks are rising amid quarterly results from DuPont to JetBlue Airways. And as investors await tomorrow's Federal Reserve policy update, we check the markets every 15 minutes throughout the trading day on Bloomberg. The S&P 500 up to tenths percent or five points to 2092. The Dow Jones Industrial Average up to tenths percent or 36 points to 18,013. And the Nasdaq's up to tenths percent or 10 points to 4906. Ten-year Treasury, little change, yields 1.91 percent. Yield on the two-year, 0.84 percent. NYMEX crude oil up 1.5% or 63 cents to 43.27 a barrel. COMEX gold is up a quarter percent or $3.20 to 12.43.30 an ounce. The euro $1.1323, the yen 111.03. DuPont is up about 2%. The company, which plans to merge this year with Dow Chemical, raising its earnings outlook for 2016 after higher seed prices boosted first quarter sales. While JetBlue is up 1.2% after first quarter profit beat. Analyst estimates and a group of companies, including Alphabet's Google, Ford Motor and Uber Technologies, are forming a coalition to advocate for safety regulations for self-driving cars and to bring them to American roads. And that's a Bloomberg Business Flash. Mike and Scarlett. Thank you so much, Karen. I'm Scarlett Fu in for Tom Keen here with Michael McKee. This is Bloomberg Surveillance. Our guest right now is Ted Seides, author of So You Want to Start a Hedge Fund, formerly of Yale Investment Management and Protégé Partners. And Ted, um, your book, which is a wonderful uh, series of lessons for anyone looking to start their own hedge fund, has a blurb on the back from one William Ackman of Pershing Square Capital, where he says, I strongly recommend this book for anyone who's interested in starting a hedge fund. Give us the number one lesson that new hedge fund managers and experienced ones like Bill Ackman uh, would learn. What, what mistake do they all make? I think if there's one broader mistake that we see in the early stage, it's that very talented investors, uh, talented analysts, talented portfolio managers haven't applied their same business acumen to their own business. So we have a lot of situations where if you think just about the marketing process, which often isn't something that a new manager has been involved with, they don't really appreciate what their audience is looking for. They don't do research to understand that. They don't really understand where they fit into the ecosystem. Um, And as a result of that, they tend not to send the right signals uh, to their potential investors. Um, So that's one general area, and that pervades itself across sort of how they think about their team, Uh, how they think about the relationships with their investors. So a lot of broad aspects of the business is something that gets very underappreciated by managers. So how do they fix that? Do they hire a professional business manager, marketing manager? Well, one of the reasons I wrote the book is that there aren't a lot of ways for these managers to learn these lessons. Um, You really don't have serial entrepreneurship in the hedge fund space the way you do in, say, venture capital, because if someone starts a new fund, they never need to start another new fund Mm -hmm. as long as they're successful. The, the the life expectancy of funds suggests that they do need to start a new one. <laughs> they might need to get a new job, um, yeah. but you don't often see people who are successful sort of restarting. Um, so I think a common way that, that people learn these lessons is by going and talking to a bunch of peers who have done it before and succeeded, and, and there is sort of a, a series of lessons of history that come out. Um, but a lot of it, it gets learned through experience and through making mistakes. And so I know, you know, when Bill read this and, and wrote the quote and, and a lot of very successful managers like him who have done that, for them it was sort of a trip down memory lane. Mm-hmm. They all kind of said, wow, I wish I had seen this before when I was starting a fund. And one of the lessons you talk about in the book is um, multi-strategy hedge funds and how most multi-strategy hedge funds are not made. They were not, they're made, excuse me, they weren't born. What do you mean by that? Well, um, 
when when funds get started, uh, generally speaking, what happens is that a manager has excelled in a particular strategy, and they rightly pursue that strategy because that's what they know the best. Um, one of the things that's incredibly difficult about forming a hedge fund is actually generating or having the ability to have the flexibility that everyone assumes hedge funds have. Uh, so from the outside, we, we believe that hedge funds are nimble and trade a lot and have a lot of leverage and are flexible and make money in all environments. That's a myth? It's not that it's a myth. It's just it's very hard to manage expectations of investors if you're all over the place. And like anything else, managing expectations is incredibly important. So one of the things I talk about in the book are the challenges. If someone wants to have flexibility in their mandate, how might they be able to go about doing that? Or alternatively, if they want to focus on a narrow strategy, what are some of the challenges they might face when that narrow strategy goes in or out of favor? Well, that would uh, be where I would uh, follow up a, a question, and that is, is there anything new under the sun? In other words, how do I sell you on my services if I'm doing the same strategy that other people have done? Uh, are there any new strategies, really? Yeah, I don't know that – there are always – Something new. There's a tremendous amount of money in the hedge fund industry made and therefore also spent in research and development, probably more than in any other place in investment management. That said, there isn't a lot that's new. Uh, and I think that's one of the lessons for sort of the startup hedge fund managers. They all think what they're doing is brand new and special and very different. But from the allocator's perspective, there really isn't. Um, so where you, where you generate interest is by doing things right by generating performance. And also, there is an advantage of being smaller, as I mentioned earlier, and having more flexibility into the breadth of the securities you can trade. Is there an ideal size? I think there is an ideal size for different strategies. It's probably not the same size for different strategies. So to give an extreme example, it probably doesn't make sense to be a $10 billion fund focused on small cap equities. Right, so if you're investing in small cap U.S. equities, a fund that might be right size from a few hundred million, maybe to a billion dollars. Whereas if you're a multi-strategy firm, you probably need to be quite a lot bigger to attract talent and to be able to play in a lot of different strategies and scale. And when you're attracting investors, are you looking to go after the most fundamental long-term investors? Is that the best uh, audience for you, or should you be looking more broadly? Well, everyone would like investors that give them a lot of money, take none other time, and never leave. Sure, um, the ideal. Those investors generally don't exist. Um, and there is certainly a perception that the most favorable investors are the ones that own their own capital and have very long-duration liabilities. So you could think about endowments and foundations. Mm -hmm. And that group of investors has tended to be longer term than others. Um, but one of the things you learn over time is that no two investors are alike. No two investors are driven by different factors. And so as a manager is going to build a great business, just like any business they would invest with, they're better, they're better off having a diversified client base than investors all driven by the same set of factors. Why? What are the pitfalls by by just seeking out uh, foundation funds or big endowment funds? Yeah, well, to be sure, a lot of funds have been very successful just seeking out those types of investors. Um, but one example is we went through the financial crisis in 2008. Endowments and foundations, generally speaking, had the same liquidity challenge, where, mm -hmm. for example, if you had investors that were based in Asia, where the currency was stronger, their assets didn't 
depreciate by as much, and they tended to be more stable. Nobody could have predicted that type of uh, difference in, in decision-making process. But in that situation, it was better to have more geographically diverse investors than mm-hmm. just investors in the U.S. Uh, I got a question for you here. You, uh, you used to work at Yale. Uh, Yale was the first of the endowments to put money into hedge funds. Is it still a, a good thing for endowments uh, to do, uh, is, uh, or is it uh, too risky? Well, th- those are very different questions. Um, I think it's a very good thing for endowments to do. I think hedge funds, when selected well, provide a, a differential return stream and certainly can deliver equity-like expected returns. Um, Risk is completely misunderstood. So a well-managed portfolio of hedge funds has quite a bit less risk uh, than just investing in the equity markets over any sort of medium period of time. We, I wanted to, to finish up with um, the idea that there's a retirement risk here with uh, some folks in the hedge fund industry, right? A lot of founders of big funds are getting near retirement age. What does that mean for allocators, for people who have uh, money in pension funds and, and how that money will be used? Yeah. Well, the vast preponderance of money in the hedge fund space is invested with a relatively small universe of large funds. And those funds tend to have long track records and have been very successful. Um, and the, the, the entrepreneurs and founders are, in many instances, in their 60s, late 50s. So we are starting to see some of these people retire. Mm-hmm. Some of the firms, take an example like Farallon and Tom Steyer, uh, left managing the fund, have transitioned nicely and have a continuing business. Others, for example, Regiment in Boston that was founded by Tim Peterson, a former Harvard management fixed income manager, two years after he left, the 8 or $10 billion went to zero mm. as investors fled. And so what we're likely to see is a mix of those two things. Um, now, if there's only two or 300 large firms and a, a significant subset of those don't succeed in, in transitioning to another uh, set of talent, we're going to see reallocation of those dollars to smaller funds. And maybe to one of your new hedge funds that people reading your book start. <laughs> it could be. Ted Sidus, so you want to start a hedge fund. Thank you very much. For joining us, I'll give you the best investment here, Scarlett, of the day that I have heard about. <laughs> Didn't need a hedge fund to do it, but Tom Hanks says he put 100 pounds on Leicester to win the Premier League at the beginning of the season. Oh, my god! They were 5,000 to 1 at the time. Do you believe that? I don't know if he's telling the truth or not, but that's what he is claiming. There's a great article on the Bloomberg written by our editor-in-chief, John Micklethwaite, on just that, because John Micklethwaite is a diehard Lesser fan, and because he's in New York, he wasn't able to make any bet on the team going anywhere this year. <laughs> and too, he's weeping right too now. Too bad for him, yes. <laughs> we are produced by Bowden. Ken Pelley is our global technical director. I would like to thank Scarlett Fu for sitting in with us this hour. Francine Lacroix. And Lisa Abramowitz for filling in for Tom today.